I will trust Brexit focus with Paul Goslin and Jared Dean. Welcome to episode 11 of the Hollywell Brexit Focus podcast. My name is Jared Dean and as always I'm joined by Paul Gosling. Paul, great to see you. Hi Jared. Let's have a chat about what's happening on Brexit in the last month. We've had Theresa May come out and say it's a done deal, just about 95% there. Yeah, Theresa May has told the House of Commons that there's 95% completion on the Brexit deal. The problem is that it's the other 5% that contain the difficulties. And the main difficulty is the future of the Irish border, which is far from resolved. Border on this island continues to cause concern. Yeah, Theresa May told the House of Commons that uh, uh, what was important was to enable businesses in Northern Ireland to continue to sell into Great Britain mm-hmm. and some commentators have said that that sounds quite significant that she didn't say it's essential that businesses in Great Britain continue to have open access into the market in Northern Ireland so there's a hint there that possibly the deal that could be done would be around in the meantime on an interim basis the United Kingdom staying within the customs union mm-hmm. that would include obviously Northern Ireland but in addition Northern Ireland Ireland, unlike the rest of the UK, would perhaps stay in the single market, either on an interim period, but possibly permanently. Now, actually, that could be possibly very good news for the economy of Northern Ireland, because if businesses had the opportunity to invest into Northern Ireland, giving them access both to the European Union single market and also into the United Kingdom internal market, then actually we might see significant investment, including coming into Derry, for the future. Now that could actually, you know, create significant uh, strength within yeah. the local mo- marketplace. Yeah, sure does. That's unique selling point stuff. It's That's right. But but there are problems around that. Um, in particular, problems around the fact that. Uh, some people don't want to see that. Now, that's true both of the Conservative Party right wing, the, the strong Brexiteers, but also the DUP has expressed concerns. OK, and there's ongoing concerns or ongoing issues with the DUP and the Irish government as well? Well, that's right. I mean, the DUP, firstly, is concerned. It's, it's saying that it doesn't want a different deal for Northern Ireland from the rest of the UK because that would create, in its view a constitutional change for the position of Northern Ireland and if Northern Ireland remained as part of the uh, the single market then firstly it would mean that Northern Ireland would be excluded from any possible trade deals mm-hmm. that Great Britain did um, and secondly it would create a constitutional separation and well as well as probably some additional checks on goods travelling between Northern Ireland and Great Britain. So the DUP is concerned about that, in particular about the constitutional position. But as you say, the DUP has also expressed very strong criticism of the Irish government's attitude towards the future of the border. Mm. Now, Leo Varadkar took a copy of the Irish Times into a meeting with other EU leaders the other day, on the day when the Irish Times was publishing a report on what had happened when we last had customs borders, and they were blown up not just in Derry at uh, Koshquin, but also in Newry. And uh, he was showing the other leaders, a copy of the Irish Times, showing the devastation at the customs border in Newry, saying this is what happened last time we had a customs border, we must not have it again. And um, Sammy Wilson was was very, very forthright indeed. He said that um, Leo Varadkar had made himself a laughing stock, and uh, he said that uh, 
it was exceedingly unacceptable, absolutely unacceptable for him to to make these comments. So Mm. the DUP is showing a very strong position against the proposals of the European Commission and Northern Ireland taking any different position from the rest of the UK in terms of the future. Okay, and and what are businesses saying? Well, businesses are are, are worried. there was one poll recently published which showed that 80% of businesses in the UK uh, believe that investment, the investment climate, has been damaging and that uh, 80% of them believe there's been a reduction in investment. Mm-hmm. Now, some agri-food businesses in Northern Ireland, including Fane Valley, which is one of the largest, have said that uh, they might move processing from Northern Ireland across the border into the Republic because they predict difficulties if there is not a clear and beneficial deal mm. we've also just had another survey published by the law firm Pinsent masons that found that uh, 34 35 percent of large businesses those with international reach expect that the, the non-uk subsidiaries will switch to eu-based operations away from those based in the united kingdom um, in addition uh, about a third expect that investments in the UK will reduce as a result of Brexit. Okay. Uh, and also, uh, 15% of boards say that uh, they're likely to move jobs out of the UK as a result of that as well. So, more doom and gloom. Uh, Absolutely. And that's not just true of within the United Kingdom. Uh, the Central Bank of Ireland has also warned that there could be 20,000 job losses in the Irish Republic if right. there's not a, a suitable deal coming out of this. And the CBI in Northern Ireland has put out its own warning in terms of the impact on migration. Now, the CBI is concerned that Northern Ireland is more dependent on EU workers and international workers than any other part of the UK. Mm. And the reasons for that are that we've got an ageing population, a a more ageing population, if you like, than the rest of the UK, that we lose so many young people because a lot of our graduates go abroad after they've graduated or else they go abroad or to GB or to the Republic in order to study for their degree so we lose a lot of those and in the agri-food sector where there's low pay there's a lot of dependence on EU workers and the other point that they're making is that the UK government's policy is that if you earn more than 30,000 a year, then you will be able to have open access. But there's so few positions in Northern Ireland yeah. that earn that level of income that it won't necessarily give people an opportunity to come into uh, Northern Ireland. So the CBI is expressing serious concerns in terms of the skill base. Okay. And there was a National Audit Office report as well into government preparations at the border in advance of Brexit. And- a few surprising, surprising findings there too. Um, I think that the one that stuck in my mind most was that the Border Delivery Group has only begun detailed planning on its work uh, since July 2018, well, two, more than two years after the Brexit vote was taken. And also that of 12 critical border projects preparing Britain for no deal, 11 are at risk uh, of not being delivered on time and to an acceptable quality. So it's a bit frightening. And they also talk about smuggling as well. That's right. I mean, it's very interesting. I mean, the National Orders Office is particularly concerned about the cross-channel border rather than the Irish border. Mm. But when they're talking about the risks of smuggling, we would expect 
those smuggling risks to be much higher in Ireland because it's impossible to see how the border could be effectively controlled. I mean, even if you put up controls on the on the main roads. Right. So, yeah, uh, the National Order Office is very concerned at the lack of preparations, the fact that preparations for no deal have become very late in the day. Mm. And now we know that uh, the Cabinet is similarly concerned. I mean, the Financial Times has just been reporting that the United Kingdom government is looking to hire ships to bring in emergency supplies not just of medicines but also food in the event of a hard no deal brexit now they also say that there was a stormy meeting of the cabinet when other cabinet ministers were told by the prime minister just what was going on and Mm. the the risks of a no deal outcome and apparently they were in disbelief at what they were told and ministers were advised that the dover to calais ferry route may operate at only 12% or to tw- up to 25% of normal activity and that basically international food supplies will be severely disrupted. Right. So, you know, this might sound like a bizarre scaremongering story, but I would stress this, this was the main story in the Financial Times which is, you know, sort of like the most reliable media source we've got. Okay. Aye. So, all the, the doomsday reports. <laughs> things, things are looking up. <laughs> We've also had conversations, or you've had a couple of conversations, about rights uh, beyond Brexit, and in particular rights of Irish citizens in Northern Ireland. Who, who was it that you talked yeah, about? Yeah, that's right. I mean, we, we talk a lot about the economy, but equally it's just as important, perhaps arguably even more important, about mm. people's rights. Now, there are a number of concerns that have been expressed, and we've had the opportunity to interview two people who are very well positioned to give us views on what's going on, um, and we're listening First of all, to Brian Gormley, who's the director of the Committee on the Administration of Justice, which has put in a complaint to the European Ombudsman because they believe that rights that had been promised to Irish citizens who live in Northern Ireland have been reneged upon. Mm-hmm. So he is the first person. And after that, we listen to Conor McFeely, who is the chief executive of Craig and Enterprises and who is also a member of the group of civic nationalists who have called on the Taoiseach and met the Taoiseach, Leo Varadkar, to demand that they defend, the Irish government defends the rights of Irish citizens living in Northern Ireland. But first we listen to Brian Gormley. Do you have a burning question or query regarding Brexit? Then contact us via email at brexit at hollywelltrust.com or tweet us at hollywellt or leave us a message on our Facebook page and Paul will try and address that issue in a future episode. I'm now joined by Brian Gormley, who is the director of the Committee on the Administration of Justice, one of the more important bodies protecting people's rights in Northern Ireland. Brian, thank you very much for doing this with us. Now, you've expressed concern that as part of the Brexit negotiations, things are going backwards in terms of the rights and privileges of people who have exercised their right to obtain Irish passports because they were born in Northern Ireland. Uh, can you talk us through a bit about how you see those rights being challenged by what's happening with Brexit? Well, first of all, uh, the rights of everybody living in Northern Ireland will be affected. And uh, I think that there is a, a major issue on the question of difference between rights of British and Irish citizens here. Uh, that's maybe something uh, I, I can come back to. In respect of those who choose to identify as Irish uh, or Irish and British, uh, and as you know, the 
Good Friday Agreement says that it's the birthright of everybody born in Northern Ireland to be able to do that. Um, they will, in theory, as Irish citizens, retain European Union citizenship. But of course, in fact, a lot of the um, benefits uh, and rights of European Union citizenship rely on being resident in a member state and against the wishes of the people of Northern Ireland, Northern Ireland will no longer be the territory of a member state after Brexit. So the issue then is that certain kind of uh, rights like uh, the right to vote in the European elections for example, uh, the right to access health care. European health insurance card, yes. Yes, uh, all uh, the education, uh, the question of university education, for example, at EU rates, all these things are based on reciprocal agreements because all the EU member states sign up to them, but you've got to be resident in, in, in a state. So, for example, an Irish citizen resident in New York can't just enter the EU and automatically use the healthcare system uh, because it's a reciprocal kind of uh, issue. Now, in the political agreement made between the British government and the EU governments in December of 2017, there was a commitment to maintain the rights of Irish citizens as EU citizens, even where they reside in Northern Ireland. In our view, the EU Commission's legally binding text to put that into practice uh, resiled from that position and we've actually uh, made a complaint to the European Ombudsman uh, in respect to the Commission's position. But of course the UK government hasn't even accepted that version. Um, and as I've said already, the issue uh, of differential rights between uh, Irish and British citizens arises whatever level of Irish rights there are in terms of EU citizenship because British citizens won't be EU citizens. And do you think that's the reason why the UK government hasn't pursued the agreement from December last year in terms of the rights of Irish citizens who are resident in Northern Ireland that the UK government is concerned at the idea of giving people differential rights in for example European health insurance cards and visa uh, fees and things like that? Well, I think part of the problem is there's there's no special arrangements, as were uh, uh, agreed, being put into place to do that. So it's not happening. Uh, I think this is just one of those things that uh, nobody really thought about and has done virtually nothing about. Our own view is that all those entitled to Irish and therefore uh, EU citizenship should be regarded as qualified persons and have as many rights as feasible of uh, EU citizens. Now that might be quite difficult for both the Irish government and the EU but that would be the only mechanism that would stop there being a differential now in rights between British and Irish citizens because that differential undermines the very basis of the Good Friday Agreement was that, that we, everybody would be equal in this state, whatever identity and allegiance they aspired to. 
Now, is it possible that the European Commission's attitude is that it wants Northern Ireland to stay as part of the single market as well as part of the customs union? And as part of the single market membership, then you would still have freedom of movement and therefore you would still have the ability to exercise EU rights. So from the European Commission's point of view, this is bound up with the broader framework negotiations. I think it is bound up particularly with the Irish backstop, so-called. Yes. In other words, how a... Uh, hard border is to be avoided on the island of Ireland and that seems to be the sticking point at the moment in terms of the negotiations. The European Commission is saying well look the only way you can have uh, no border is if Northern Ireland is in the customs union and at least aspects of the single market Uh, and nobody has really come up with a solution beyond technological fantasies uh, for how that uh, can happen. Of course, the uh, implication of, of that being the case would that there would be some level of increased checks on movement of people and goods between, or pe- goods anyway, between uh, Northern Ireland and Great Britain. Of course, there already are many checks, and of course, you can't get from the territory of Northern Ireland to the territory of Great Britain without passing through a port or airport. Uh, it's fundamentally different to a land border in that respect. Um, but we have a political situation where that has been called a, a blood red line. So uh, that is where the impasse is at the minute. So let's just specify for listeners exactly what we're talking about here. The the rights that you're concerned in, obviously people in Northern Ireland lose our rights to elect a European parliamentarian because we're no longer part of the European Union. So that has to be taken as read. But the other rights we're talking about are things like, for example, being able to use a European health insurance card, uh, probably having to pay for visas to enter other EU countries, which could even include uh, the Republic of Ireland, perhaps things like the uh, European uh, driving license arrangements as well. Are there other things that uh, people could lose that they currently rely on? Um, Well, our fundamental concern about Brexit is the threat to the uh, peace agreement itself, Mm. which is peace is the fundamental guarantee of human rights because conflict means a bonfire of human rights. So while we're talking about detailed rights uh, at the moment, the fundamental problem, the really dangerous thing, is of a return uh, to conflict. But let me just go back. You mentioned the question of voting rights. There isn't anything to stop, for example, the Irish government extending the franchise for European uh, elections to Irish citizens in the north. Many European countries have franchises extended to to their diasporas. Um, Now, it would have particular significance because you might be talking about an extraterritorial representation in terms of MEPs. But the Europeans have said that that is a matter for the Irish government and some political parties are negotiating uh, on on that. Um, I only mention that really to say that creative possibilities, extraterritoriality as it were, is not uh, a, 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 um, a complete no-no. And that is does fit in with what the Irish government says it intends to do about future presidential elections in Ireland to make them uh, inclusive of the diaspora, including uh, Irish citizens in Northern Ireland. 
That is true, uh, although obviously the president is largely a symbolic mm. uh, figure with no control over government policy, whereas uh, electing, say, the two extra MEPs that have been allocated to Ireland as a consequence of the UK's withdrawal um, could conceivably you know, have a political impact in the uh, European Parliament. But as I say, our main concern is that when you've got an inequality in citizenship rights, when you've got other issues undermined by Brexit, like the right of Irish self-determination and the principle of consent in terms of the northern population, then uh, there is a potential weakening of the, uh, of the peace agreement and therefore um, a threat we don't, it's very impossible to quantify that, but a threat of uh, returning to uh, a violent political conflict. And in an attempt to finish the interview in a more positive note, I mean, we can't rule out the possibility that actually a deal will be done, and perhaps even if it's only a framework outline agreement at this point, it may well be that there will be detailed negotiations afterwards about the rights of people in Northern Ireland whether they identify as Irish, British or other nationals? Uh, I think that's true, but there won't be a deal, that's what everybody's saying anyway, unless there is prior agreement on the Irish backstop, which involves no border or no significant border on the island of Ireland. And at the moment, that's the sticking point. I'm now joined by Conor McFeely, who's the chief executive of Craigan Enterprises, uh, which is the managing body for the Rathmore Shopping and Business Park in Derry. And now Connell is one of the people who's a signatory to demands of the Taoiseach uh, on behalf of civic nationalists in Northern Ireland to protect the rights of Irish nationals who live in Northern Ireland. Uh, Connell, thanks for joining us. Uh, tell us a bit about what your demands of the Taoiseach have been in terms of the role of the Irish government to protect Irish citizens in Northern Ireland. We are concerned that the outworking of Brexit undermines the Good Friday Agreement. And by undermining the Good Friday Agreement, we're undermining our peace process. And in that context, uh, there are certain things we believe that is tied into uh, the Good, Good Friday Agreement, which is of crucial importance. One is about our Irish identity. And in that context, uh, we feel that that will be um, undermined. We also see ourselves as Europeans, and we also think that that will be also uh, undermined um, as to the outworking of Brexit, particularly if there is um, a hard border. And in that context, we, um, when we met the Taoiseach, our views was that we felt that as the co-guarantor of the Good Friday Agreement, that we felt that um, he was now key to obviously protecting the Good Friday Agreement, protecting our rights under the Good Friday Agreement, in the absence of the fact is that we do not have uh, elected ex uh, executive now operating in the North. And in that context, we would see him as the person who is protecting our interest at this point in time. Now, what rights are you particularly concerned about that uh, are being threatened by Brexit? Well, again, I think it, uh, in terms of the legitimate aspiration of people who live in, in the North who see themselves as Irish, in that context, uh, we feel that uh, as nationalists, we have the right to uh, aspire to 
the unification of this particular island. We feel that if the Good Friday Agreement is undermined, we actually think it Brexit, and if we look at the history of the the Brexiteers, they really um, do not believe in the Good Friday Agreement. The fact that um, um, the DUP have got into bed with the extreme elements of the Brexiteers, and they have been from day one opponents to the Good Friday Agreement. They've been holding it out over the last um, 20 odd years. So therefore, from that point of, point of view, lots of people here when the Good Friday Agreement um, was voted upon, uh, the people said that th this was a route map for people who seen themselves as Irish and as nationalists and who aspired to uh, a united Ireland, that that was protected. That is now greatly undermined. So therefore, from that point of view, that is one of the key concerns that we have. We also believe that there's other rights that are going to be damaged as a result of the undermining of the um, Good Friday Agreement. And that is in terms of the fact that there are certain rights that was being enshrined uh, in terms of European rights. And our European rights will also be um, damaged as a result of a hard Brexit. And in that sort of situation, we feel that all those uh, laws and rights that obviously protected, if you like, the social contract, employment rights, um, equality rights and so forth, uh, will also be uh, further diminished. And the fact is that one of the reasons why we have difficulties in terms of our current sort of um, impasse uh, in terms of, uh, of Stormont um, is that the fact that it's about the denial of rights. And, and in that context, we felt that in terms of the rights that was protected under the European Union will also be further uh, undermined. And in that context, we feel that that's another area which we'd be very, very concerned about. If we also look at the situation in terms of the significant role uh, played by the European Union in terms of um, building the peace process here, in terms of uh, the various peace programmes, in terms of the regeneration of uh, marginalised communities, and we're actually sitting in one of those marginalised communities. If it wasn't for investment uh, coming into this particular city in terms of uh, European grant grant aid, uh, we would have not actually been in a position which we are at the moment. Some of the major infrastructural projects in this particular city that attempted to break down, you know, uh, the divide in this particular city. For example, um, the the Peace Bridge, you know, that was European money, that will all disappear. We also believe that, you know, Brexit will also undermine uh, rights in terms of our agricultural sector, all those um, subsidies and so forth will actually disappear, so therefore will have a major impact in, in our economy. Uh, so from that point of view, we that would be our main concerns at that stage. And of course you wrote an article in the Derry Journal a few days ago in which you expressed concern about the impact of Brexit on the economy of the city and the potential further regeneration of the city. Do you want to say a few words about that as well? Uh, that particular article was particularly uh, focusing on concerns about a lack of a university uh, here in the city, which is something that, that we know is a, a key component in terms of the regeneration of this particular city. Clearly, you know, if we have a situation, education will be one of the main things that will be damaged by a hard Brexit. And in that sort of context, you know, the fact is that we will lose EU funding, for example, in terms of uh, for universities and for, uh, for research, that will disappear. It will also mean that uh, 
the cost of education and European um, connections will also be greatly diminished. And in that sort of context, I believe that you know the education sector will suffer. And indeed, it's, it's just been announced today, for example, um, we, there's lots of talk about, obviously, the medical centre. Uh, the news is breaking today. Um, that next fact that that's now not going to go ahead and the context and what is happening is that you've got people like the, the DUP and others um, hiding uh, behind the fact is that they wouldn't want a, a fully-fledged university in this particular city and in that context the fact that there's no assembly is the excuse which the University of Ulster is actually using not to actually now be able to uh, achieve the medical centre in this financial year. Yeah, I think uh, my understanding is that the medical school uh, is being delayed rather than necessarily being cancelled at this moment in time. But uh, is your con- there's been expression of concern that Letterkenny could be the become the higher education centre for the northwest in place of Derry. Is that one of your concerns? No, I actually think that if one looks at the history of the campaign to get a university in this region, uh, it has not happened over the last. 50 years. I am one of those individuals who believe that the University of Ulster will not deliver a full university for this particular city. The evidence is there um, and I also believe that given the current tobacco in and around uh, the medical centre my view is that I can see the medical centre happening here either. So therefore what we've been arguing for given the fact that this is a very unique region, we feel that the time is now to think outside the box. We think that it's now time to actually look at the university network within the island of Ireland, and we feel it is now time to set up a Northwest University campus that would encompass Derry, Straban, Donegal, Letterkenny, all those areas, and we feel it, uh, and if that was linked into how the university structures work within um, the island of Ireland, then in that sort of context, we feel that that would give us an opportunity to ensure that we would have a university that is actually still linked into the heart of Europe. And the fact is that, and that was one of the reasons why we were simply saying is that uh, we need to think outside the box. And in terms of my discussions last week um, with the Minister of State, Joe McHugh, who's now become the Education Minister, uh, in, um, in the south I've also raised the question with him and his new role is the fact that we should be exploring how we actually establish a university for the north west that is, comes under the remit of his particular department and the fact is that we can begin to build uh, and rebuild this particular region I think that there was a situation which you know Paul in the past we were involved in uh, the university for Derry Group um, uh, E4D and in that context we talked about how we could obviously re- rebuild this particular city if we had a proper university and we actually looked at the particular model which was Lincoln University and if you look at some of the facts since that university was established like it was seven or eight, eight years ago uh, the economic growth of that particular region has just gone forward uh, here our economic growth is going backwards and until we actually have a proper university um, for this particular region, then this city will not regenerate.
The Highwell Podcast Brexit Focus, funded by the Community Foundation of Northern Ireland's Brexit Dialogue Fund. Download this programme and stream it for free on SoundCloud.com, Apple Podcasts and Stitcher.com. Subscribe, listen, share and enjoy. And there we listened to Conor McFeely. Now, during that interview, Conor made some very critical comments about Ulster University, uh, which we needed for legal reasons to run past Ulster University. They gave me the statement in the name of uh, Dr Malachy O'Neill, who's the provost of the McGee campus. Now, Malachy said, and I quote here, McGee campus is a priority for Ulster University, with plans in teaching, student experience, and globally significant research on campus. This includes the opening of the new £11 million teaching block in January, which provides a state-of-the-art facility for collaborative teaching and interactive learning experiences. In February, the Nursing and Midwifery Council Competence Testing Centre opened at McGee, one of three in the UK, which will increase the nursing capacity in the UK. Proposal for Graduate Entry Medical School builds upon existing schools of biomedical science, stratified medicine, health sciences, nursing, psychology, pharmacy, and the newly developed Institute of Mental Health Studies within the University the majority of which is situated at McGee campus. Last year, Ulster University launched Northern Ireland's first data analytics institute headquartered at McGee. The Cognitive Analytics Research Lab, Carl, cements the university's reputation as a global leader in this area. Malachi continues, Ulster University continues to make significant investments in world-leading research and teaching taking place at McGee to ensure that the campus remains a global leader. We are currently working with Derry City and Strabane District Council on a range of city deal projects with the overarching aim of McGee expansion. That ambition is reflected in last week's announcement of the £5 million philanthropic donation to establish the Dr George Moore Chair in Data Analytics at McGee. Um, Malachi finishes by saying, whilst we have continued to work closely with department officials, by which he means Department of Health officials, over recent months and await published findings of the Gardner Report, we remain deeply disappointed that the lack of political decision-making will delay the plans for a graduate entry medical school. By offering alternative non-traditional entry points to medicine, the graduate entry medical school will widen access to medical training to address the skills and workforce challenges currently faced by the healthcare sector needed to improve patient outcomes. And the statement ends there. And we needed to put that out uh, to ensure that uh, both sides of this disagreement over the future of Ulster University's commitment to McGee are properly heard. I'm now joined by Catherine Cook of Foyle Women's Information Network. Uh, now, Catherine, uh, you've worked with clients uh, f- who've got various uh, situations, one of whom recently is seeking to borrow money to buy a property in Donegal and was told, well, you tell me, what were they told about the mortgage availability oh. for properties in Donegal when you're working in Northern Ireland? Basically, they were told that they couldn't use their income against um, the mortgage, that um, they weren't given mortgages out to customers who were working in Northern Ireland. Um, they put it down to the impact of... The client put it down to the impact of Brexit. Um, and this is a side of Brexit that we haven't even considered because when you live so close to the border, you have people who work in both jurisdictions and who may live not in the jurisdiction in which they work and this could become a complex issue for a lot, particularly a lot of younger people who are thinking about going onto the property ladder. 
Yeah, because while we don't have exact numbers, we do know that there's thousands of people who work in Northern Ireland and have properties over the border, mostly in Donegal. So this is something that could potentially affect a lot of people. Obviously, it doesn't affect people who are already paying their mortgages. Having said that, people clearly have more difficulty in paying mortgages that are in euros when effectively they've had a pay cut in sterling because of the loss of value in the sterling currency compared to the euro. Yeah, it's a big, it's having a big impact on families uh, on both sides um, of the border. And um, the client in, um, in, uh, that we're talking about in particular is now rethinking their career, rethinking um, the next year of their life. Do they move jobs to get a job closer to home where their income can be included along with their partners to get a better deal? for a mortgage. So it's it's an, a situation for a lot of young people that they haven't even thought about. And it's how does the impeding Brexit impact on their future? Absolutely, Catherine. Now I've spoken uh, as a result of you bringing this to us to three mortgage brokers, uh, all of whom have confirmed basically what you've said, that uh, it is going to be extremely difficult at the moment for anyone who's earning money in sterling to pay obtain a mortgage in euros one in northern ireland said that all the northern lenders were ceasing to lend to people who are trying to borrow for buying properties the other side of the border and i spoke to two in donegal one of whom said it was impossible at present for someone who's earning in sterling to borrow in euro but having said that all three said it wasn't just about brexit it was other things now clearly the fall in the value of the sterling currency compared to the euro is one of those concerns another is the fluctuations and the fact that borrowers cannot be certain what their income in euro terms will be in the future and another said basically that the lending market isn't really functioning very well in Ireland at present and also there may be concerns about the extent to which Donegal will be affected by Brexit rather than the rest of the Irish Republic so certainly what the brokers have said to me confirms what you're saying that Brexit is an additional factor that will make it very difficult indeed for people to buy properties in Donegal if their main income is in Northern Ireland. Thanks, Paul, for yet another informative discussion about Brexit. And thanks to our other contributors today. We've had Brian Gormley, Conal McFeely and Catherine Cook. Just time to remind you about an upcoming, or to tell you about an upcoming event that we have on the 15th of November here at Hollywell. In partnership with the Northwest Community Network, we're delivering uh, a programme with the Human Rights Commission on Brexit and our rights on 15th of November at 10 o'clock. Open to all. It'd be great to see a good crowd there. So, thanks again. Keep an eye out for Paul's Brexit blog that will appear in the Derry Journal uh, newspaper and on their social media channels from Friday the 26th of October. And this podcast, as always, is released at about the 25th of each month. This and all our recent podcasts, including one that looks at our Future Leaders programme and uh, has a chat with Eamon Dean about the Foy River Yards programme, all available to download and they listen for free. So thanks and we'll speak again soon. You can stay up to date with us on our social media pages. On Facebook, look for the Hollywell Trust. And on Twitter, it's at Hollywell Tea.